Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and mixing it up a little bit for our usual uh, weekly podcast. Sherelle McMillan takes Ross Martin's spot. Ross is out on the town, I believe, in somewhere in Tennessee, Greg. But I'll go ahead and start with you. Thursday night, 8 o'clock in the Smith Center, uh, it's Duke, Carolina. And been a lot of ups and downs for North Carolina over the past couple months. This game is a big game, not just for rivalry purposes, but it's a huge game for North Carolina, ACC standing-wise, NCAA tournament-wise. Uh, your overall look at that ball game. Well, I think there's a lot of elements in play, kind of like you mentioned. And for whatever reason, it seems like a lot of people have Duke kind of penciled in as the as the easy winner in this game. And having watched Duke throughout the season, I just I just don't see why people believe that necessarily. Um, you know, if this game is at Cameron, I think maybe it'd be a little bit different story. But I think this is a good opportunity for North Carolina uh, to grab a big win. Uh, Duke probably will be favored in this game, which is understandable. But you know, they've, they've had some issues this year. And I think it's a, a, a game for North Carolina. They kind of uh, had the ability to, to regain some confidence this past weekend. I know it was Pitt, but at least being able to get out there and execute and do some things you wanted to do, I think that, that helps get past that three-game losing streak. They understand that it's February. They understand they have to start playing better consistently and I think that's the the biggest thing about this team is they've played well in stretches Uh, they've struggled to play consistently well um, over long periods of time and for them to make any kind of run in March that has to start and we saw it on uh, the second half against Clemson they played well saw it against Pitt and now that has to continue but uh, Duke is, is not a great defensive team and so I think North Carolina will have some success offensively and then they just have to do a good job on the boards. And if, if those things happen, then I think North Carolina has, has a good shot in this game. Sherelle, before Carolina slide, I was kind of up in the air personally about this game. thought Duke had too much talent for North Carolina, but I thought Carolina could play well enough. And then Carolina had their little string there of three losses. But then Duke turns around and loses to St. John's, who – is not a very good basketball team. I believe if you lose whatever, 11, 12, 13 games in a row, you don't qualify as a good team, I don't think. But one thing I saw that St. John's had that I concerns me a little with North Carolina is guys' ability to create their own shots, especially get in the lane and break down defenses. Your thought on Carolina's approach there Duke is not a good defensive team, but when I've watched them as teams with those guards that can make you pay with the dribble drive that have given them fits. And, you know, not to be redundant, but that's what we talked about with Theo Pinson pretty much the whole season is that he is, I think, I think you had the phrase, uh, Barry's the key, Theo's the engine or something like that you had. I thought it, it was pretty apt because he, he did it last year at Cameron. Uh, I think it was maybe his first or second game back. And Duke really struggled to keep him out of the lane. 
Now, granted, you know, he wasn't making plays like he's been doing this year. I think he had eight or 10 points. But the point is, uh, is that Penson can do those things. He can get in the lane. He can get open shots for Cam Johnson and Luke May because, you know, the way the matchup set up, you know, North Carolina is going to have to really shoot well from three, I think, to win the game. It's not wrecking news or anything. So I think that is a key for them. And then, uh, you know, Greg was saying that wondering why I think people uh, assumed that Duke is going to just come in and, and beat North Carolina pretty soundly. And I think it's just because it's unfamiliar because we've never really seen a Duke team with two seven-footers who, uh, you know, they think they lead the country in offensive rebound percentage. The offense is super efficient. So it's just really unfamiliar to see a North Carolina team, and I think they talked about this at the press conference today, uh, Greg, to see a North Carolina team who really relies on the three to win games and the Duke team who has two big guys who can go out and get them 20 and 15 pretty much every night. So I think that's kind of the reason it, it feels a little weird coming into the game. Greg, I mean, that's the key. Carolina's got to shoot it well. If if they don't shoot 40 45% from three-point range, I don't see a scenario they could win. And I, I'm not being a pessimist like people will often call me or a cynic. I just think that's realistic. But I do think, and Sherelle brought him up, I do think Theo Pinson in this game is as big a player as anybody on the court for North Carolina. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree about that. And in terms of the three-point shooting, for North Carolina to win, do they have to be lights out? I don't think so. Do they have to be efficient? Sure. I mean, they can't go you know, two of 15. That's not going to get it done. But just to be you know, be average, um, I think, is, is all you have to do uh, because I think there's going to be opportunities to score otherwise. And I think Theo Penson is a big part of that. I think Luke May is a big part of that. Because what we have seen Mike Krzyzewski have to do sometimes this year is go to that zone. And uh, you, a lot of people think, well, you know, you got two big big guys in the middle for Duke. You've got to play two bigs for UNC. And I disagree with that. Uh, I think you know, Luke May is a matchup nightmare uh, for Carter, especially being able to bring him out on the perimeter. And then you got Bagley trying to defend Pinson. And at that point, it becomes, okay, who's going to be more efficient on their side of the ball? You know, Bagley's going to have a lot of success against Pinson. But on the flip side, I think Pinson could do a lot of damage against Bagley, especially in that zone, against that zone. Because UNC likes to utilize that, uh, that high-low game and really attack uh, kind of the, the opening, the weak spot in the zone there at the free throw line. And you get either Luke May or Theo Pinson there inside, they can do a lot of damage. They, they can dump off down low. They can hit that little jumper. They can kick out for open looks from three. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Mike handles that and how he defends. And does he go more with just the man? Does he go with that zone that we've seen so much? Uh, so I really do think this is more so than maybe we've seen in recent years or really ever since Roy came back. It's going to be a chess match. And I think that's the fun part of it because it is so different. Like Sherelle said, we're used to seeing Duke jack up a bunch of threes, UNC pound it down low, uh, and whoever's more efficient wins. I mean, we've talked about that ad nauseum for years in this matchup. And now it's completely different. So maybe it is a case where UNC, if they hit a bunch of threes, and then they kind of limit what Bagley and Carter can do down low, who knows how this is going to turn out. I don't think it's going to be quite that easy. So I think these coaches are going to have to figure out what works and what they're willing to give up. You know, if North Carolina can be incredibly efficient offensively with a small lineup, but are giving up a ton of easy baskets on the other end, you know, 
how do you make that determination of if you need to switch things up? And so I think that's going to be the the fun thing really to watch. Yeah, I wonder if you know at some point UNC decides to just concede uh, in the paint. And I know it's very uh, opposite of anything that Coach Williams usually does, but because of the matchups and because of the way Kenny Williams can defend when he's on and Theo Pinson and Joel Berry, I wonder if they decide to try and just limit, you know, uh, Trent Jr. and Grayson Allen and Trayvon Duvall and say, okay, Bagley, you want to get 45 and 20, be our guest, but then limit everyone else and see if they can, you know, find a path to victory that way. So I'm just curious to see, you know, if, if that comes into mind at all. Usually when you go into a Carolina Duke game, I, I think this is right, Greg, Roy Williams usually always has some kind of wrinkle uh, that he uses, whether it be switching screens or some high-low action. There's always something just subtly different in, in the game approach. Yep, for sure. And, and I agree there, and I had the conversation at the local high school basketball game tonight that how does Carolina beat? I think if Bagley has 35 and 20, Carolina could win. If Grayson Allen um, or Trent Jr. have 25, or plus, Carolina's not going to win because Bagley's going to get his. So, Greg, let me come back to you, Sherelle. Conceding in the paint would be something that Roy Williams does, but I think you can't help because Bagley and Carter are going to get theirs. But if you allow those guys to shoot it, then it becomes who do you guard, and Carolina can't guard them all. Um, so could you see an envision a scenario where Carolina can concede the paint concede the two point shots, even from Duval um, and Bagley and Carter. If Duval gets in there, and they stay on shooters, they've done that in the past. They did that to JJ Reddick more than once, and it and it worked out for them. I mean, I, I'm not a Hall of Fame three time national championship coach. That's what I would do, but I've, I seriously doubt Roe Williams would do it. Uh, you know, those guys, what they're what we see on the court is what they're taught, and that stuff is you know hammered into them over months and months and practices and practices and years and years. So to think that just because of a, a strange matchup against Duke that they're going to completely change what they usually do, um, I doubt it. Maybe they do that for a few possessions and see how see how it goes from there. But uh, I'd be very surprised, even though I suggested it. I'd be very surprised uh, if Roe Williams decided to do that. I think you'll see North Carolina's typical defense and just maybe a small little wrinkle here and there, but nothing dramatic. Greg, let, let me flip back to the other side because I wanted to talk about Carolina's offense first and we kind of segued into defense. But I think for Carolina to be efficient on offense, they're going to need some sort of mid-range game in this because I don't, I don't see a situation where Luke May has a lot of success at the rim against Bagley and Carter. I think fouls could play a huge role there, but Duke's got size that can come off the bench. They'd have to dust off their jerseys to get in the game, but they're still there. So your thoughts on Carolina's approach there, I do think Pinson, like we've talked about, is your de facto point guard and you let him create. Um, but getting all the way to the rim might be tough against those bigs. It may be. And I think if you go back to the Michigan State game, uh, Michigan State has similar athleticism that, that Duke does, especially inside. And I think really where North Carolina's problem started there is that they were so poor uh, shooting the ball from the outside that Michigan State really was able just to kind of focus on limiting what Luke May could do, and they were able to take that away. Uh, and This is the kind of matchup we've, we've talked about throughout the course of the season. You know, Luke May can pad his stats against a lot of teams, but when you go against some very athletic, long, 
lanky bigs, how is he going to manage? And I think the thing about Luke May is that he has surpassed time and time again everybody's expectations. Um, I think it's fair to say you know, if we're handicapping this going in, that is going to be a tough matchup for him. Uh, and so it is going to be an, an opportunity where maybe he he doesn't have as much success you know, posting up and, and having success that way, but maybe he's got to take Bagley off the dribble or Carter, whoever's trying to defend him. Maybe he's got to knock down some outside shots to uh, to bring somebody up on him and, and be able to get into the paint and dish off or, or hit a little runner. He can do all those things. He's shown it that he can do it. So maybe it's not going to be the traditional just pound it down low, let him go to work. Uh, but he's he's shown an ability to get creative. And I think if you can knock down some shots from outside, and I, I really do believe Joel Berry is a key in this game. I think we always just assume that. Uh, but Duval, he has not necessarily impressed me. He's not a great shooter. He's not a great defender. I don't know that he's technically a, a true point guard in the sense that you know Coach K would like to have one. Um, but he, he's a he's a good player. But I think Barry is is the better uh, point guard in that matchup, and so I think you you have to win those battles. Uh, and if North Carolina can win that battle at the front, that really changes everything. If, if Barry can show some success, getting into the paint, maybe you know dumping off to to May for some easy buckets, maybe Luke gets into some rhythm. And a lot of things start to work for North Carolina. But if Duke can win that matchup at the point guard spot, then it becomes difficult for UNC to win some of the other matchups, and that's when things can kind of snowball. We come back from break. I'm going to ask Sherelle about his uh, X factors for North Carolina in this ball game. We'll be right back. Sherelle against Pittsburgh. I think we see or saw Kenny Williams sort of break out of a slump if you want to call one game breaking out. But I think he and Cam Johnson are the keys for North Carolina. Barry is the main guy. Penson's the engine. But Johnson and Kenny Williams need to have good games for North Carolina um, to take some pressure off Barry, take some pressure off Luke May. Yeah, it was good to see <clears throat> uh, Kenny Williams. I think Hubert Davis talked about this uh, when he filled in on Roy Williams Live on Monday. Uh, just to see Kenny get some confidence back because he had been struggling really for the better part of a, you know nine or ten games, and I think that because Kenny you know hit those few threes against Pittsburgh, he knows that his team needs him. I mean, despite the fact that he plays a lot of minutes, and he plays really hard on defense. He's always on the ground. North Carolina can't get to where they want to go uh, without Kenny Williams hitting shots. So I think he's even more of a X factor than Cam because. Uh, over the last five or six games, I think we, you know, you can start to see what Cam brings, and he's starting to do it a little more consistently. So I think Theo, Joel, Cam Johnson, and Luke May, you kind of know for the most part what you're going to get. And it's funny because I was saying the same things about Kenny Williams a couple of months ago. But if he can hit a few shots, if he can, you know, draw a charge or two, and just loosen things up for Joel Berry, uh, then yeah, I think North Carolina definitely has a good chance. Tommy, I'll, I'll make this pretty easy. Uh, and kind of to build off what Sherelle said, in North Carolina's seven losses, uh, Cam Johnson shooting 38%, Kenny Williams is shooting 37%. In their 17 wins, Cam Johnson's shooting 47%, Kenny's shooting 51%. So uh, I, I think it's a situation where too many times in some of these tough games, it's really just been Luke and Joel. Occasionally you'll get some some help from Theo. But those two guys, as good as they are, they cannot carry a team 
against a quality opponent like Duke. It's not going to happen. And so you have to have everybody kind of chip in. And when, when Cam and Kenny are giving you some production, it doesn't have to be great, but just some, some efficiency that eases things up for Luke and Joel. And then everybody in the offense starts going. And when North Carolina scores the ball, they can be very good. And I, I think that's one thing we overlook. We harp on defense so much for good reason. Uh, but North Carolina is shooting 39% in their losses, shooting 49% in their wins. So Roy Williams' teams, kind of like Larry Fedora's teams, are always based upon how good offensively can they be. The defense doesn't have to be great, but we know the 9 team, all they wanted to do was outscore people because they could. That's all they needed to do. And so there's been a lot of teams like that that Roy has. And I, I think the way his teams are built, that's the key component. So if a lot of guys can kind of chip in and help out, that will enable North Carolina to have a chance in this game. But if Duke is able to kind of really shut down everybody but Luke and Joel, it's going to be really tough for UNC to win this one. I was just going to say what Greg was saying about if North Carolina can get multiple people involved. Uh, Duke doesn't play a lot of guys, and that's something that you know we've seen the last couple of years. Uh, I think it was a couple of games ago they played six maybe, and – the five starters had 37, 38 minutes apiece. So it could be a situation where if North Carolina continues to push tempo and throws bodies at all these guys that in the second half, you know, we, we, we've seen it in the past where in the second half, at usually somewhere around that under eight timeout, guys' legs start to leave a little bit. So the shots either go long or they go short. Um, so I think that's something to watch too, because whether Carolina fans like it or not, Roy Williams is going to play 10 guys. He's going to sub. Uh, Seventh Woods is going to be back on Thursday tough spot for him to come back in uh, but you know there's going to be an opportunity for North Carolina to get into Duke's legs I think a little bit yeah and I was going to go there and Greg I'll start it with you I mean Joe Barry I think Shrell was in your scoop there's times he's been exhausted and Carolina's starting this tough stretch here but against Duke how much does seventh woods really factor in being his first game back in Greg or or does Rory Williams just sort of ease him back in and continue to use Pinson at the point. Uh, Playtech could get a couple point minutes. Uh, Brandon Robinson won't be in at a point, but he could give Barry a spell while Pinson switches over. I mean, I don't think Barry needs to play 38, 39 minutes for North Carolina to win, but I do think some of those other guys that I've mentioned need to step in and provide at least some plus time when they're out there. Yeah, I think seventh will probably get a, a few minutes, especially early in the game, uh, just because he's he's really the the backup point guard. He's all you got. A couple games ago, when I guess it was at uh, Clemson when Theo got hurt, you know, Playtech has to come in as as the backup point guard. And what happens? Uh, he he kind of forgets that he's point guard. He's supposed to be the the deep man back. Clemson gets a transition transition bucket out of it. Uh, that's just knowing what your position is, and that's no fault of Playtech because he's not a point guard. Uh, but Seventh Woods knows what he's supposed to do, and so while I don't expect him to be, a, you know, have a great impact, as you mentioned, if he can come in and just give you some positive minutes, some positive plays, not turn the ball over, um, and even if Theo's in the game, I mean, Theo can be the point guard alongside of Seventh if you want to go that route. But just a few minutes here and there, I think it's going to be critical utilizing the timeouts. I mean, these guys they get so many timeouts now. Um, you, know, you can you can manage pretty well. I think the issue for Joel this week is the fact that you've got you know, three games in five days. But I do think they will, uh, Sherelle makes a great point, they can get into Duke's legs a little bit. 
But here's the other aspect of that. I mean, if you look at Duke's starting lineup, I mean, they got four freshmen. And one point, you know, Theo and, and Joel both made at the press conference today is they're not going to really know what this rivalry is about and the intensity that it brings until you get into the game. And so that may be an area for North Carolina where these young Duke players, they know about the rivalry, but they've never played in it before. And they've never played in it at the Smith Center. So maybe that's an edge for UNC at least early to get off to a good start uh, before those those young Duke guys kind of get involved and understand what it takes. And so I, I think if they North Carolina can get off to a good start, uh, that that'll bode well. And the Smith Center will definitely be on fire. I mean, it it Duke comes to town and that place is wide open, um, so it'll be a great atmosphere. Sherelle, let's talk about that a little bit. The intensity of the rivalry maybe the experience of North Carolina um, really rears its head against the, against the Blue Devils on Thursday night? Uh, I think it'll help. Um, I think it'll help particularly in the final, if it's a tight game and, you know, at the end of four timeout. I think that's when playing in national championships and final fours and in several UNC Duke games that have gone down to the wire will help North Carolina. But overall, I think once you, once after that first timeout, the under 16 in the first half, I think everybody, it's not, dissimilar from the Super Bowl where everybody kind of settles in you get into a nice lather and then you just go play basketball so I don't for outside of the first four minutes and probably the last four minutes I don't think it's a huge deal but I do think that North Carolina's experience could help it if it's a tight game you know in the under four timeout Greg give me a key or two maybe we haven't talked about shooting I think turnovers may be a factor I think fouls will be an issue uh, Duke doesn't play many players. If Carolina can get into that bench, some those guys that are um, young but have no experience virtually, especially in big ball games. Your thoughts on maybe um, something we haven't discussed? Well, we touched on it a little bit with with Woods and, and Playtech, but I, I think the contributions that the backups can provide is going to be critical. Uh, Roy Williams has always talked about you know if you're coming off the bench provide us some kind of positive energy, right? Uh, make us just as good, don't make us worse. And I, I think that's going to be the key component because one of the unique dynamics of this North Carolina team is we know what the small lineup can do, right? It can do a lot of different things. But when you go with two bigs, and we've seen a lot of Sterling Manley and Garrison Brooks on the floor together of late, if you go with two bigs, all of a sudden it gives you a completely different look. And so by no means are those two guys going to go in against Bagley and Carter and dominate them. You don't need that. You need to to play effectively, to play smart, to provide some good defense, and to provide a different look. And I think if if some of the young guys can go in and and spell the starters and give them quality minutes uh, and make Duke have to defend a different way, that's beneficial. And only if if it's five minutes. If it's ten minutes, great. Uh, but that'll be a key component because, well, I don't think the minutes are as big of a deal in this game because it is the Duke-Carolina game. And I think Barry and Pinson and May will handle it just fine. If they can take a breather and not have to worry about the game's momentum changing against them, uh, that's a big boost. And it gives them a chance to relax and to take a deep breath. And that's invaluable in these types of games. So I think any contributions that the guys off the bench can provide will be critical. And again, you know, we mentioned this with uh, the scoring aspect. 
the more players you can have to contribute, the better your opportunity is uh, for somebody that to sneak up and have a good game. You know, Manley can come in, give you 10 points, eight rebounds. I mean, that would be huge. But any little thing like that uh, really helps Luke May and Joel Berry from having to carry the load so much. And so I, I would really say that, that the, the role of the backups and how effective they can be. To, to Greg's point, it, it kind of reminds me of, um, and maybe this isn't the best example because Carolina ended up losing the game, but it was the 2014-15 game in the Smith Center uh, when Duke had uh, Justice Winslow and Okafor and Tyus Jones and all those guys. And Joel James came in and looked like he was going to play in the NBA one day. I think he hit uh, two or three mid-range jump shots, and he really uh, limited some of the stuff that Okafor was doing offensively. So I think that's what, you know, that's a perfect example to me of what Greg is saying from Manley and Brooks, Robinson, and Playtech. Just come in, maybe do one or two positive things, but just don't be a net negative is what they need to say. Just, you know, don't hurt the team. You don't have to be tremendous and hit threes and dunk and do anything crazy. Just don't hurt the team while you're in there. Yeah, I think Sterling Manley plays an important role in this game. I think it's time to see him go up against top flight big men and see what he can do. I think he'll get that shot. But Sherelle, I'm going to keep you on the hot seat and ask you another key we haven't talked about. And I know we've covered a lot in this short 23, 24 minutes, but maybe something you look for Thursday night that uh, others might miss. Uh, well, both teams are really good offensive offensive uh, rebounding teams. And even though North Carolina plays a small lineup, they're, they're still, I think, uh, Kim Pomeroy is ranking, I think they're third in the country in offensive rebound percentage, uh, grabbing about 40% of their misses. So if they can do that and get some easy shots, and a lot of times when, you know, you miss a three, it's, it's a very weird rebound. Um, miss some shots, go back up, maybe get a foul or two. Um, in this game, getting fouls on Bagley and Carter is just as good as getting points. So if they can do that a few times uh, on you know on the offensive boards, I think that will help them a, a good deal as well. They need, I think, they need to have more shots than Duke in the game. I know that sounds weird, and whether that's via the free throw line, whether that's straight field goals, I think they just have to have more possessions because Duke's offense is one of the most efficient of the last twenty years. I think they're uh, in the Kimpom era, which I think is two thousand two. I think they are the most efficient right now or one of the most efficient. So you don't want to get into necessarily a track meet with them. So Carolina needs extra possessions to kind of counteract how efficient Duke is likely to be on offense. That's a great point there. Something I'll be watching to see if that, if that holds true in the ball game. Let me ask each of you this before we wrap this podcast. And Greg, I'll start with you since Sorrell's got the recruiting aspect covered. Is Duke Carolina the same uh, rivalry really since the one and done's? Cause you know, I know North Carolina hadn't had that many, but with Duke's roster changes over all the time, I mean, is it? it's not the same to me being the old school guys, having guys that had played in it two, three, and four years. I mean, is it is it changed any, or is it just in t- as intense as it's always been, do you think? Now, I think that's a great point, Tommy, and I think you do lose some of that um, that hatred. I mean, because a lot of these guys don't even know each other. Uh, because some of the Duke guys have been one and done, and uh, you know, Mike plays such a, a short bench anyway that you don't see a lot of the same faces. So, so maybe this year it does have a little bit different feeling. But I think UNC Duke has been so good for so long um, that the, the players they signed to play at Duke and Carolina to be able to play in this game. Uh, the fans, I mean, it, it's the same for us because it's Duke Carolina. It really doesn't matter who the players are. 
and that's one thing Roy said at the press conference today is, is you know, it's always been about uh, the name on the front of the jersey. And I think that has been the key. Uh, I personally, I, I'm kind of like you, and you know, I like seeing Jackie Manuel and, and JJ Reddick go at it so many times. And you know, Kyle Singler was the perfect villain because he was there forever and was just such a good job knocking down those corner threes. Quinn Cook, you know, was a great leader in 2015, and he was kind of the key reason Duke beat North Carolina because he understood what it took, even though they had some great freshmen that year. So uh, you do lose a little bit of it, but I, I think just the the intensity and the quality of this rivalry over the years still maintains it at a very high level. Uh, but you you do miss some of those some of those unique dynamics uh, of of relationships and the guys having to go up against one another you know, time and time again instead of just you know, twice or, or maybe three four times. Trey, your thoughts there from the the recruiting side of it? I mean, the guys. Is this rivalry in the recruiting cycle, does it matter anymore? Or is um, it just strictly let's get to the league as fast as we can? I mean, I think it matters. It's a perception that, you know, one and done guys don't care. And maybe if there's 10 one and dones a year, maybe one or two just, you know, they're like, whatever, I'm going to get paid in, in a few months. But I think the other ones actually do care. I mean, you look at how the Kentucky guys last year after that uh, Elite Eight game, how devastated they were. Um, that North Carolina had ended their season and Luke May had ended their season and they were done at Kentucky. So a lot of these guys do care. Um, The Carolina-Duke rivalry, I think, among the players is fairly similar to what it's always been. It's just two great programs. It's something that these guys have now been watching on TV since they were born, and it's been the main sporting event uh, in college basketball for that long. I think among the fans, I think it's even got – I guess, hotter, more passionate um, than it was before because the two sides have gone in completely different directions culturally. Um, What I mean by that is Duke's kind of um, acceptance of the one and done starting with uh, Kyrie Irving and uh, I guess that was in 2010. And then North Carolina has won championships kind of the traditional way. So Duke has a title with majority one and dones and Quinn Cook. And then North Carolina has uh, championships with four-year guys, three-year guys. So um, each fan base feels like they do it the right way, even though both schools, you know, are the the pinnacle of college basketball. So it's just interesting because on Thursday, that's pretty much what you'll hear. You'll hear uh, team, you'll hear UNC, you know, does it um, the way Roy wants to, the old school way. And then you'll hear the Duke line, which is, you know, they get the most talented players. They play at Duke for a year, and then they go to the NBA. So I think among the fans, that's uh, kind of been a sticking point the last seven or eight years, and it's gotten, it's made the rivalry that much better. Great points all around, Greg and Sherelle. I appreciate you taking time to join me. Sherelle, I hope we can talk post-game Duke, North Carolina, Thursday night, 8 o'clock. That should be fun. In the Smith Center, Greg, I know you'll provide us and the rest of the Inside Carolina readership with plenty of coverage. Guys, thanks. Thanks, Tommy. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.